When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with a fully dressed Nick. He put pants on for me. I, I did. I did. I'm not going to lie. In the morning before my day starts, I don't start. So I was sitting there drinking coffee in my pajajays, enjoying it. And then I got a message saying, hey, what are you doing? The fat signal was in the sky. I had to answer the call, get dressed, and be here. So here I am. I'll tell you, all I had to do was tell him the topic for this week's show. And it was like... He got the zoomies. He just got up, got dressed, ran downstairs. He's ready for this show. I'll tell you, it was Brucey's time to shine. I was sliding down the banister, everything. <laughs> oh, good fun. Well, besides the show, so this week we're going to talk about commercial fish farming. But before before that, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm tired. I'm sore. I went to the gym yesterday for the first time in months and I use machines I normally don't use. Like I I have a routine when I go to the gym. I get there. I do about 10 to 15 minutes of like really quick cardio. I I walk at a real fast pace or I'll get on the bike and I'll pedal my my big old chubby butt off. And then I go and I do um, this this pectoral fly machine and i'll do eight ten sets of ten with like maybe 20 second 30 second intervals and then i take about a two minute break and i clean the machine and then i move over to the hip sled and i do a bunch of leg presses and that kind of stuff after everything is said and done because i'll do maybe two full routines of all that i've been there maybe half an hour 45 minutes i'm i got a good sweat going my heart rate's up like i feel like i've had a good workout but yesterday i decided to try this machine where you essentially like sit in it you put your arms behind your head and you pull forward and you do like a like a i don't know like a vertical crunch but when you do that you're pulling the weight with you so like and a core like a core exercise yes a core workout and if anyone has seen my core it is wide massive and jiggly so it was incredibly hard because i don't know how not to be stupid and i am an ego-driven person when i'm at the gym I looked at the machine and went, well, it starts at 20 pounds, but it goes up to 160. I weigh 440 plus. I can do 160. I put it at 160, and that's what I started with. And it was fine. It felt perfectly fine yesterday. I could barely get out of bed today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to also point out you're getting older. Is that what's happening? And what I have learned in my graceful aging is that Things that you've done to your body disappear for a little bit, but they come back and they usually want to say hi in the mornings. I love good news. I don't like to think of it as getting older. I consider it leveling up. So I'm level (laughs) 35. I've almost had enough experience to advance to level 36. Oh, all right then. Well, then I am like a wizard of like life then. Okay. Well, you're, you are level 45. You'll be level 46 in about what? 17 days. It's creeping up. Yep, it middle is, of May is uh, my milestone of survival, and we will. <laughs> it's just that a milestone of survival. Yeah, it's coming. It is all right. So, all things aside, 
we might as well get to the thing that you rushed down here for, which is commercial fishing, commercial fish farming, because there's a difference between commercial fishing and fish farming, right? Yeah, there's a, well, they're, they're both terrible in their own right, but there is a big difference, yes. Well, I think terrible in, in their own right is by scale. When I think of commercial fishing, it's because we are quite literally looting the oceans and destroying habitats to get as much fish as humanly possible possible well no, uh, we're keeping possible i'm not letting that one go <laughs> uh, to some degree yeah you're right but there's a lot of different ways they do it but the thing that concerns me the most about commercial fishing is the amount of life that they kill in search of a particular fish you know when they try to get tuna they're going to kill a lot of other things just to get their tuna and that's not unique to tuna fish that's the most if you say commercial fishing people always think tuna fish because it's widely widely processed i mean when you look at a little can of tuna fish it costs like 80 cents or 90 cents in the grocery store you don't realize that came out of a fish that weighed hundreds of pounds it's not like tunas are small fish they're huge Right, And so um, they kill a lot of things in their nets and in, in their processes to, to catch the tuna. And it, it really, it's really heartbreaking and sad because a lot of, a lot of species are being like overfished accidentally to the point of where, where they're almost extinct. I mean, they're extent right now, but it's not, um, it's not looking promising for them, but that's not what we're here. We're here to talk about uh, fish farms and it's very different. And they're also equally disgusting and terrible, but that's what we're here to talk about. Well, and they exist because we've done such damage to the oceans and the ecosystems that we've overfished to a point where it's very, very challenging to meet consumption needs. So this is how society has deemed the way to get fish to people is by creating these massive fish farms. Yes. So I'm going to explain this to people as easily as I can. So if I'm not being concise, I do apologize. I'm going to tie fish farming to standard farming. Now we have a big issue in this world with, um, with the agriculture. I don't want to say agriculture, I guess the, the industry of processing beef, beef is probably the biggest, like what I talk about here. When you farm hundreds of head of cattle or thousands of head of cattle, it produces a lot of waste. Now, because we're humans, we don't really think about water in the same way we do air, but you have to understand the correlation. Water is to fish as air is to humans. Right. So when cows pass a lot of gas and they create a ton of waste and stuff like that, we have this big you know, industry behind producing food for us. The same thing happens in commercial fish farming. Now, in commercial fish farming, I think, I believe it's off the, off the coast of Scotland or around Scotland, they, they farm salmon. Mm -hmm. And those farmed salmon produce so much waste that they're polluting all the water on the farms. Cause uh, like, you know, like a, like an actual farm with cows, all it really is is a bunch of nets and a big circle in the water and the fish can't swim through it. They can't really swim under it. So they're all just corralled in this one small area. They can't really move. It's packed full and they just pour loads and loads of food in and they eat and they crap and it goes down and currents, you know, take it out. And it, that's bad enough. There's too much waste for nature to take its course and the things that would feed on it can't keep up with it. But also they're disease ridden when a disease or a parasite, it gets a hold of a fish. Well, it's got thousands of other hosts right next door. It just boop, jumps, 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 jumps. So then fish start to die and you actually lose a huge yield of the entire school due to, you know, poor practices. It's, it's terrible. It's unfair to the animals and it's disgusting and people eat this stuff. And, Another thing that I absolutely I despise 
fish farms because what they do the, the feed they feed them normally is like a fish meal base normally it's like dead dehydrated fish that's been ground up mixed with other things to make this fish food it doesn't have the same nutrients they'd have in the wild so salmon or, or you know is a beautiful pink and i want to specify this pink fish due to things they eat in the wild it turns their flesh pink farmed salmon is gray and white it doesn't have that color so they add dye to it before it's sent out in the packaging process to make it look like wild-caught salmon. It is absolutely gross. If you buy farmed salmon, let it sit in your fridge for a couple of days, that, that dye starts to ooze out of the fish. And it starts to kind of look kind of weird because it's losing that artificial color that they give it. Wow, that I did not know. And it looks like we might have hit a topic that's going to get you going today. Well, I don't know if it's no. Well, you you hit a topic that I'm actually not completely ignorant about. That's what it is. <laughs> a lot of the topics we discuss, I have no idea, and I just kind of free think off the top of my head. But I I do care about food. I am a chef, but more importantly, I care about Mother Nature. And if you want to be a great cook, if you want to really really take part in the culinary world, the first thing you have to admit is that Mother Nature is the true artist. That was said by a, a chef named Marco Pierre White, but he's completely accurate. And if you ruin or mess with the way nature produces things you're have, gonna have an inferior product and it, when i learned how bad farmed salmon was i started looking into it and then i watched a documentary on netflix and that just changed everything for me well and i think that's one thing about i don't say a lot of th nice things about netflix on a regular basis but they really did come out with a, a bunch of series a bunch of documentaries back to back to back to back that really hit close to home you know, the David Attenborough, A Life on This Planet was one of them. I think you're talking about Seaspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. The, they did come out with a bunch of them that are worth watching. Um, and it does. It does kind of, you know, it's on Netflix. You know, there's some pieces that might be dramatized. But in general, it's still verifiable. When you talk about that salmon farming, you're talking about a massive amount of waste in one place that your food is consistently swimming in fish. If you've ever spent a lot of time around fish, you can throw waste in the water and, and food in the water and they eat both. You know, they're, they're very re responsive. They just kind of react more than thinking it through at times. So you end up with this really a poor quality food. They'll eat microplastics, they'll eat anything that's in front of them. And these fish never actually experience life. They're much like chickens. See, when I look at this, I look at, you know, me and my vegetables. When I plant vegetables in good soil here locally, we get a flavorful, delicious plant. We get a cucumber that has a taste. When you go to the grocery store, as you call them, water sponges or water sacks, everything just tastes like water. They're yeah. in such a hurry to grow as much as they can, as fast as they can. Everything, it's almost like getting a bubbly. You just have a hint of the flavor that was supposed to be in the drink. You know, uh, the food is the same way, where this stuff grown with all the right nutrients is shockingly flavorful. Well, that's part of it with with that, like the edible landscaping thing. One of the, the big you know, defining differences between all farms and all all homegrown vegetables and fruits is that generally they're allowed to ripen before they're picked with the commercial agriculture industry most of that kind of stuff any any seeded fruit tomatoes cucumbers bell peppers are normally picked the moment they're of an acceptable size to be sold because by the time they get picked 
transported and and they've gotten you know to your local market they've changed they've died enough they're not getting riper per se they're dying they've turned from green to red but when you cut that tomato open the inside is white or it's green it's rock hard or if it isn't it is wet and it may look like a tomato but it doesn't taste like anything because it never had time to develop the sugars and the proper acid it needs to have that flavor everyone loves that smell that aroma that if once you've grown your own you know it and you'll never go back well it's same thing with chickens and and what you're talking about with fish once you have a a more natural environment you get a a denser meat when it comes to chicken versus what you would get in these cage farms and and don't get me wrong when they say free range they mean in a pole barn okay it's not it's not like you envision them wandering around a farm picking at bugs i think that the um i agree and i'm sorry to cut you off again but i think when it comes to chickens uh and we're getting too far off the beat for fish farms but i'm going to say this when it comes to chickens the notion of a free range meat bird is um anyone that's ever raised birds realizes that it's it's kind of a counteractive to each other because the, the chickens the i think they're called cornish hens that are bred they are a special breed designed for meat um, they've been altered in their DNA to a point where even if you gave them a huge field of grass, which chickens eat to run around in, they won't. They will sit there and eat out of their dish and drink out of their water. They will sit with their butts on the ground and they grow so fast. The reason they sit is because they can't carry their own weight. They grow so fast. They never develop feathers in half their body. By the time they're big enough to butcher, they're still half bald. Like it's, it doesn't matter if they're free range or not. You can stick them in cages. They don't move. Mm-hmm. After uh, six weeks old, they're not big enough to go anywhere. And that sounds terrible. I'm only saying that because I've raised meat birds. In fact, last time we bought chickens, I bought one. I bought one meat bird as an experiment. I bought one meat bird and four amaryllis blues or so. I, I don't remember the name of the, the bird, but it's this weird bird we've never had. But the reason we bought it is because they had purple eggs and I wanted to see purple eggs. But I bought the one meat bird to go with it. The idea was that if you take a meat bird, take it away from other birds that are just like it, and put it around other chickens, maybe because birds flock and the birds tend to think alike and they they, they, they mimic each other the way fish do schools. Um, I hoped that the, the, the meat bird chicken would act more like a regular chicken. It would be up and be moving enough to counter, you know, counterdict the... Um, the behaviors that the last batch we had. Keep in mind also, when you have meat birds, you're supposed to feed them a specific food that's super high in protein, which encourages their body to produce you know, weight so quickly. We're not feeding that kind of food. So I'm hoping that I will actually have a Cornish hen that looks like a regular chicken, not a uh, a meat bird. I just, I, I wanted to know because I, I was astonished by what I seen when we raised them. And don't get me wrong. It's still, even like that, is a much better product than the chicken you get in the grocery stores. It was delicious. They were fantastically tasty birds. But it was kind of disheartening and sad, like sad. It was just gross just to watch them sit there and like literally be equally spaced between the food and the the water. The chicken would eat, then he'd lean over and drink. Then he'd lean over and eat. Like it was, he had it all figured out. And that bird was in a little ways my spirit animal, but it was also (laughs) sad. Well, and the same thing happens with fish. There's... Well, I think in in that documentary that you had watched that they just keep them swimming in a circle. Mm -hmm. That's to help build the the muscle within the fish. But the pros and cons of fish farming are pretty brutal. Before we go into that, I want to just, the U.S. imports 70 to 80% of its seafood, okay? But it still produces a tremendous amount. The United States consumes massive amounts of seafood. 
every year. That And you'll notice that when I give you these numbers, when I went to the State Department to pull these numbers, they always tell you in money, then pounds. Matter of fact, money is in bold, pounds is this small thing afterwards, but that's just a U.S. thing. In the U.S., we, let's see, salmon, $66 million worth, and that's 36 million pounds is what they is what they gave us for salmon production in the US not what we actually eat cuz we this is that 20 per 20 to 30% of what the US needs and uh yearly cuz it imports but, 70 to 80%. That's also the, the, those prices are based off whole fish poundage. So cuz you what you just read me was what like $2 a pound give or take 2 and 50 like mm-hmm. you said 66 was 30 something it's those are raw prices for like a like a whole fish where they're going to cut the head off, they're going to gut it, cut the tail off, they're going to take the scales off, and they're going to cut it into, you know, maybe you might get four to six, maybe eight decent fillets off one giant sample. But, like, by then, the prices went up to, you know, $15, $16 a pound because they have to make their money because they got to pay back all that garbage. Right. I was surprised at the numbers for oysters, and that's $219 million for 45 million pounds. Why are you surprised by that? That is a huge market. I probably because I've never really eaten them, but I know um, it's that much bigger than salmon. Yeah, absolutely. Shellfish is way bigger than than actual fish. And also, you're going to find oysters are huge on the coastlines, and we don't live on the coast, so obviously it's out of our our norm here. Clams, hundred and twenty two million dollars, yep. and that was only I think eleven million pounds. Mm-hmm. Shrimp, which I thought was going to be one of the higher ones, because Maybe because I I eat shrimp. $13 million and 4 million pounds. Maybe we just import more of these ones or something, but this is what the U.S. produces. And then mussels, 9 million and uh, just under a million pounds. Mussels are an old school dish. I bet you if you went back, if you went back and found a per pound capita, we probably used to go through a lot more mussels than we do now. You see them in high-end fine dining places, but most restaurants don't carry them. When we went to the lake house on the west side of the state, yeah. way, we, we tried them there. I wasn't a huge fan. Uh, almost everything they make there is one of the more delicious things I've ever had. Mm-hmm. I will go back to sticking to either the vegetarian dishes or the fish. I wasn't a big fan of the mussels. It was done in a, like a sausage and mussel mix, like almost like a jambalaya. Definitely wasn't my favorite. but Hold on, I, hold on. What did you have? It was a appetizer, which was a almost almost like a soup with mussels and like sausage, Italian sausage. Okay. That they had mixed together. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. I wasn't fond of the texture of muscle of mussels. Okay. So when you, when you look at the pros and cons, this is another one like last week. Remember, I told you last week some of the when you, some of the Google results were just infuriating. This is sites trying to say nice things. So what I'm looking at is sites like environmentalconscious.com, stuff like that, mm-hmm. trying to get a, a middle ground. I'd bounce between that and the State Department, looking for the pros and cons. And some of these are a stretch. Like when they talk about the pros, they talk about using fish farms to stabilize the fish supply. Well, that means two different things. One of them is get us enough fish that we're happy that we're eating fish. Or mm-hmm. what I thought it should be, which is what number two kind of states on here is it's relief for the wild aquatic animals it's not we're still fishing the oceans just as much we're just now subsidizing the total amount of poundage 
through these farms. I'm pretty sure we're doing just as much damage and taking just as much fish as we can find from the oceans, even with these farms. Okay, so you're you're I'm sure you're right, but this is one of those problems that it falls in the same category as commercial farming and stuff like that. As the richest country or one of the richest countries on the planet, we don't like to want. We like to have things at our convenience at any given time. And it's that desire, that innate habit of all of us that causes these problems. This isn't a normal problem. We should not be overfishing an ocean. We shouldn't go to Walmart and have every possible size of shrimp we could ever imagine available at any given time, dead and peeled and frozen. Um, but we do. We do have that. So I, I don't doubt that the uh, the fishing is still happening at the same rate. And the farming, you know, to some degree had benevolent beginnings. You know, it, it, the idea was to, you know, to slow down the commercial fishing and to give us a turn in them. But it's become this monster of an industry of all its own now. And it's absolutely horrendous. Uh, I, I don't think there are pros to it. I don't think there are pros to either one of them. Uh, in fact, I, I am that weird guy that I do honestly believe we'd be better off if they didn't exist. I do think that if you want fish, you should go fishing. I do think that food should be seasonal. I do believe that we started off a long time ago as a hunter-gatherer species, and we should go back to that. And I'm not saying tribalism, but I am saying that I think that commercial agriculture in all facets has practically destroyed this planet. Well, and without commercial agriculture, we'd go primarily to a vegetable diet, vegetable and fruit diet. Uh, and then there would be the people who do. But here's here's the thing. Let's say you wiped it off the face of the planet. So what would happen is, is I'm eating primarily fruits and vegetables because I'm not a farmer when it comes to animals. But I, I'll see a friend over here who has some chickens, and then I will trade them some of mine for some of their chickens, which means they need more chickens. And then someone else comes to them and says, oh, you have chickens. I want chickens. That is the evolution that has led to the current farm situation as it is. Now, what I can tell you is you have penetrated my skull when it comes to some of these things. I think that the fact that we can go anywhere at any time and get a subpar version of the things we want has kind of ruined the excitement of going somewhere and getting something good. Good. <laughs> so like going to Maine to get seafood and eating when I was in Hawaii getting seafood, going places that are primarily a seafood area is should it should be different. I shouldn't be able to get the same thing as in a subpar method here at Walmart. Consume as much as I want. See, you got me naming places now mm -hmm. and kind of ruining the taste of what is there. It should be special to go somewhere and get something from that region. I agree, but to keep in mind that because it's so convenient and because it's it's so easy to obtain, it's not special. But also, and I, I really want to hammer this home, when it comes, it comes to consumption, when you've had something that's wild caught, that's properly processed, and it's cooked, and I don't mean anything fancy, we're talking about Michelin star meals, just cooked well. It's it's a, in a league of its own. It's completely different than than buying it from the store. I, one of the best things I've ever tasted in my life was a wild caught rainbow trout. To this day, I, there's not, I've never had a piece of salmon or a piece of like brown or steelhead or any kind of trout, any other fish in that family that compares to it. And I've had some delicious salmon, so don't get me wrong, but this wild caught rainbow trout was just out of this world and it was natural. It came out of, it came out of a river and it was, I mean, it was a hundred percent organic as far as a fish goes mm -hmm. versus going to the store and buying it that came out of a farm and the, the flavor was different. You know, the way it paired with wine was completely different and it was just 
it was an experience of its own. And I think that really eating should be like that. And like, I understand that we live in a convenience culture, which is really what I'm getting to call it is convenience culture. It's nothing to go to Riverside or to go to the local grocer or to go to McDonald's. I'm, I'll name all the businesses. I don't even care. Uh, and get like a, a McDouble, you know, a terrible, nasty chicken sandwich. that's made from like the, the scraps and garbage. that has got mayonnaise and lettuce. I know I'm going to get us a lot of hatred because people love those things, but it's just, it's absolute trash, man. It is garbage. And I understand that everyone's a chef and everyone can cook the way that they might like to, where they see on television. And I'm not, I don't expect them to, I just expect to pay attention to where their food comes from. That's, right. that's, that's really what I'm more, what I, what I'm concerned with. Cause I do believe, that if everything was localized, if you had a local farmer that raised cattle and raised chickens for your community, it'd be better products. And it'd be maybe people wouldn't eat as much meat. Maybe they would eat more fruits and vegetables. Why is that a bad thing? It isn't. It isn't. It's just that, that would be the base um, of people's diets because it's easy. Now, a struggles in the winter time for people like us up here, but that's where canning and freezing and all these other things come into play. But when I look at what's considered to be prose. I don't think that they've thought it. I, I know they've thought it through enough to write it onto the sites, but they say it's a waste reduction from commercial fix, fishing. I don't think that's true whatsoever. I think there's a massive waste when it comes, uh, uh, even just the amount of fish that die and the amount of disease that spreads amongst the fish and the, the parasites, the, the fish waste itself, the, how much they lose it's, in farming. There's a well, ton of waste. Well, what it is, I agree, but it's, it's how do I word this? It's a biased statement. So a while back, you and I had gotten into a conversation about truth and about misinformation. And you had made the comment of their, of that perspective. It's true of their perspective, what they're writing is accurate, but we're not talking about his truth or her truth, their truth, we're talking about objective truth and objective truth dictates that the fish farms give off as much waste, if not more, than the, the exhaust and the stuff going in the water from the boats. And that's ultimately what, what they're comparing it to, is the fossil fuel waste for the fishing boats. And that's terrible. And it really is. It's also terrible how they destroy, when they do like the trench fishing, they destroy like... Bottom trolling? Yeah. Well, I yeah, I call it trench fishing because that's all that's left when they're done. It destroys their... Uh, Lord have coral reefs. God, my brain just turned off. <laughs> but it, it destroys coral reefs and, and all different types of ecosystems. But then we have these commercial fisheries. And when I say like uh, all there's thousands of fish in one spot, it's not like they have one. Most places have five or six or seven within like a mile radius. And it's like one big giant tube of fish. And then a few feet to the left, there's another giant tube of fish. And then depending on the species of fish, or if they have them quarantined because of the disease, you might have 50 feet. There's another giant tube of fish. It's it's absolutely horrendous. We're not talking about like specific or biased truth. It's objective truth. And objectively, it is worse. Well, and I'm looking at some of the things they say here, and it says it may be unnecessary to feed the world's growing population. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think we can div diversify what we eat. It says it's uh, uh, employment opportunities, which pisses me off every time I see it. And yes, that's my closest to swearing thus far, is that we don't measure environmental action by dollars. I'm very, very tired of it. On our site right now, we have the the corporate sustainability 
episode on Facebook and almost everybody underneath it, you want to be sustainable, keep jobs. And it's like the United States, or at least the possibly the world has the worst Stockholm syndrome I've ever seen in my life, that they're willing to destroy everything around them for a couple of bucks. And that's what this shows. It talks about employment opportunity. It says fish farms may mitigate starvation. Again, angers me because it's not the, it's not scarcity that's causing starvation. It's the it's humanity separating classes and not giving the food. I actually disagree with that too. I disagree with all of it. There was a time decades ago where world hunger was a problem. It's not. Mm-mm. It's not a problem. We don't have a shortage of food. We don't have a shortage of people going hungry. We have a shortage of affordable housing. We have a shortage of proper care programs for people that are mentally disturbed and handicapped or disabled. Or there's there's no shortage of reasons that people are struggling in this world. I'm not talking about this country. I mean all countries. Food is not an issue. People need to stop with those stupid po- like they're just trigger points. They're they're um, what I call fighting words. Oh, it's it's what we we need world peace. Like, yeah, let's let me ask you a question, Michael. Like, I want you to answer all the world's worst problems. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to do it. Oh, it sounds like a political. uh, But that's what it is. Debate. That's what all these are. These are all political topics. Yep. Every every one of them. And I get I get really irritated by it. And this isn't a left thing. It's not a right thing. This is completely in the in the middle because both do the same thing. They use one word and they argue different meanings of the word and they how it causes this big issue and it becomes this this big like hot topic and you see it all the time you see it all the time the biggest one in the last i would say last five years was defund the police both sides argued something very different and it became this big hot topic people argued and fought about but it was irrelevant to what was actually the problem with everything that was going on the same thing with world hunger there is no world hunger are there places in the world that are less that are, are less developed than others absolutely Yes, there are. Now, is clean and, and potable water a problem in some parts of the world? Yes. Yes, it is. Infrastructure is a problem in parts of the world. Food is there. As long as humans are omnivores, food exists. Because most animals, if it has a pulse, we can eat it. <laughs> it's not It's not like there. Like if there's dirt, we can grow stuff. I'm not saying you can't get food, but there are bigger issues to deal with. And so these excuses, oh, well, it's, it's helping starve world hunger. It's help solving world hunger or oh, it's creating jobs. Like, no, it's destroying the world, but thanks for trying. Well, and if you want to solve world hungry or world hunger, quit wasting. You know, the reason why we have to have these large of scale of, of, farms is because we waste 40% of everything that comes out of it that there's plenty to share but our system doesn't allow sharing so the other thing they tout is it lowers the prices for fish which just increases the consumption and creates a negative feedback loop for the industry now the cons there's things in here that you know the fact that they use antibiotics just like any other farm growth hormones the bigger thing is that genetic mutations because as we know that can be that can become a problem in a lot of ways and genetic mutations actually can get outside of the farm because they say you know we've got them in with nets but occasionally fish get out and when when a fish that has that's disease ridden or has parasites or has a genetic mutation it can go breed with a wild with wild species and wild fish and start to cause this problem in the rest of the ecosystem so i agree and and one of the things i will say that is positive i guess about farm salmon is salmon die after they breed so that is something that could kind of fix itself but um, <laughs> it <helped>. uh, i <laughs> yeah. guess yeah. 
it's not going to be a long lasting problem, but for the rest of the fish that gets farmed or like shrimp or shellfish or that kind of stuff, it is an issue because they do get out because these aren't exactly high dollar operations. Truthfully, if you wanted to farm a fish, any fish in a way that was as low risk to the environment as possible, you would build a giant tank or aquarium, if you will, on land and do it completely separated from the rest of the wild population. And then after you, 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 you would, um, you do what I would call a culling when you, you get rid of a whole batch, you know, if you will, you'd pump the water out, you'd filter it, treat it, and then start over. It'd be a much less productive means of farming a type of animal, but it'd be better. Now, ultimately it'd be a lot lower, lot lower risk to the, the environment and you would, wouldn't have those risks. Oh, well it, it got out. And then this, this particular fish that was infected with this really terrible type of worm that we thought we eradicated from the planet is now infecting countless other fish before it breeds before, right. you know, it, it pa- inevitably passes away. Cause these aren't, that's something I will say. These fish aren't strong. It's not like when you eat a fish that's caught in the wild, regardless of the species, it's been swimming its whole life. It's been moving around its whole life. Fish is very lean. It's, you don't, see a wild fat fish you see a wild big fish but they're not fatty when you cook a farmed animal with the exception of shrimp most fish they have fat that comes out of them it, you'll see it because it's like white and nasty and jelly like when it comes out of the fish that's not normal it also means you're overcooking it but it's not normal it shouldn't be there right well and i think we've touched on a lot of these pieces that were that were considered the cons because and by the way yes the salmon may pass after breeding but whatever genetic mutation that it has earned in the in the cycle of farming that will pass on Mm -hmm. that will that has a possibility of passing on to the natural supply and so even though that fish dies, any parasites or worms or whatever else it has may go with it, but other fish will eat them. Other animals will eat them. It, it, that spread continues. This man-made problem becomes a nature problem. And then we always look around totally confused on what has happened. Yeah. So one of the worst things that, that, that about our species that we're not really great at preventing problems. We're really good at seeing they're coming. We're better at letting them happen. And then we're the best at adapting and overcoming them after we've had to deal with them. But we're not good at stopping what we see. It's like seeing a storm is coming and not closing the windows. Like we know it's coming, but let's wait till everything in the house is wet before we close the doors. No, it's because 40% of the people who are seeing the storm coming says, no, it's not. That's not a storm. That's over there. Well, Quit being a wimp. Well, I, well, I, I'm a big advocate of the "don't be a wimp" mentality because I do believe people do need to toughen up. I, I don't think that waiting until you're dealing with the fallout of whatever terrible situation has begotten you is a good is a good way to succeed in life. I think that well, it's great that you could you can you know rise above and you can you can you know pass through strife and adversity and i do i do honestly think those are great things that they overcome i don't think that that's the optimal option if everything in the book says hey this is going to happen you should go maybe we should change that maybe life would be just a little easier if we didn't have to do that yeah it shouldn't be self-inflicted the it, okay so long term for fish sustainability is is the thing that everybody hates hearing which is eat less fish it used to be, oh, switch to fish so we can get away from steak and pork and chicken. But the real answer is eat less meat, just really? in general. And the real answer is eat less in general. And I, yes, anyone that's seen me knows I'm the size of a small beluga whale. But um, it, the, this is I'm saying this from experience. The, the average person does not need the amount of calories we consume in any given day. I'm not blaming this on meat. I'm, not, I'm blaming this on the... 
the convenience culture that we have. And, you know, if, if you look at the back of a bag of potato chips and it says, hey, one serving is 17 chips. Oh, how many servings are in a bag? 17. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's a problem. If you go buy like, like, okay, like, like beef or chicken, it's sold by the pound. Well, how much should the average person eat? Oh, six to eight ounces. So you're going to cut your chicken breast in half and only cook half. No, the average person makes the whole darn thing. Right. And, well, and that's, that's where I'm trying to push. That's where I'm trying to push down to four where I get, cause I, uh, here's the deal. I am not prepared to be a vegetarian. We, you know, as well as I do, we grew up in a meat and potato lifestyle. <clears throat> meat and potatoes topped off with a bag of chips. So I'm trying to reduce the amount of processed foods, a lot more veggies, a lot more fruits. You know, my lunch today is some uh, an apple, some block cheese, and about three ounces of ham. So I'm trying. My biggest problem is eat less. So I'm trying to, again, reset because I have failed miserably over the last winter reset big piles of vegetables nice salads small piece of meat if if it's if there's a processed food on the table very little of it but i'm not hiding from noodles or starches it is i'm a, i'm reducing the meat intake for habit purposes i well for no other reason you could reduce the meat intake cuz it's getting way too expensive to purchase but i would say that i could never be a vegetarian i could easily be a um, I don't know. This whole this whole topic is it's so hard for me because I know everything I should be doing, but then I also know the opposite of that. In fact, well, like I've said, I've been a little ashamed that I did so well last summer, then fell off the wagon all winter long, packed on a ton more weight. Now I have to go through this whole process again and restructure my diet, change my taste, and I know when I'm doing it right because when I hit a fast food restaurant, it stinks. That yeah. smell that people crave. That if you are away from it long enough, it actually stinks. It it's really quite nasty, and that's when I know I'm doing it right because that's what's that will happen again. Well, when you eat garbage like we do so often, you get desensitized to the negative parts of it. I attribute something similar to when you drink alcohol. Alcohol doesn't taste good. You can tell me that you think it does, and that's fine. Maybe you are accustomed to that kind of stuff. But when you just taste the alcohol, not what it's made with, not what it's mixed with, but just the alcohol side of it, it's terrible. Your body has a negative reaction because you're actually poisoning yourself. You should not be consuming it. I look at pop the exact same way. I used to drink a ton of soda, a ton of it. I haven't had pop since I had COVID. Now, I've had tonic water a couple times. If that constitutes a soda, then then so be it. But I used to drink, I don't know, three to four 20-ounce Diet Pepsis a day. So, right. I mean, it would take me about a, two, two and a half weeks to go through a big pack from Sam's. And now, if I were to try to drink, all I taste is the carbonation instantly. It's all I taste. And then, then I get the, that, that fake sweetness. Then I get the, that syrupy crap in my stomach, and I feel like garbage over it. And you take fast food the same way. I don't hardly eat fast food. I will consume it if I have to. I eat a lot. I eat a lot. And that's really the majority of my problem is I eat way too much food. I eat when I'm bored. I eat all the time. I may not eat a meal that's bigger than the average person's, but I'm eating again in, in an hour. Mm -hmm. And so... When I go to fast food places, you're right. The smell is detestable. Like when you when when you eat like like Taco Bell, which I always love. There's so much grease in their beef that it, it makes my stomach do somersaults. McDonald's, their food tastes like salt and pepper. There yeah. is no flavor to anything there. If you get a McChicken, you're eating mayonnaise, whatever mayonnaise is covering, because I don't know what it is. If you get one of their burgers, you get a meat sponge, tastes like salt and pepper. And if you get a piece of cheese on it, you can taste that cheese. 
I what did I eat the other day for McDonald's? A sausage egg McMuffin thing, and literally, I, I was eating it right. All I tasted was cheese. The muffin had no flavor. It was burnt, but there was no flavor. It's just I could see it was black. I could feel it was crunchy, but it tasted like nothing. The sausage tasted like nothing. The egg tasted like nothing. Literally, all I got was the saltiness of the cheese. And my yeah. tongue isn't broken. There's just nothing to this. It's not real food. Right. I told you I was watching, and I keep re-watching, Down to Earth with Zac Efron. And Darren, who is, you know, quote-unquote, the sidekick there or the guru, is a food guy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he talks about, and and this this means a lot to me, or is, is it kind of hit me a little closer to home, was, you know, you may eat tons. You may, you know, ever, I've always been the guy who gets a meal at, at a fast food place plus a side, and you get all these different things. He's like, you can eat that till you're so stuffed you want to vomit, but your body is hungry because you're nutrient starved. What you put in offers the body no nutrients. And you're hungry again almost immediately. So I started Googling this gentleman and, you know, things like small, small amounts of cheese, even though he, you know, he's a vegan, but it stays with you for a long period of time. You get your protein from your greens. You don't eat a ton of protein. Like my whole life, it was protein, 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 if you wanted to lose weight, but that's not how our body's built. So I'm trying to do more natural things. That they do an episode in in Sarnia talking about this is the place where more people live to be a hundred. You know what they did? They eat local foods that are produced within the region, and they walk everywhere. That was it. <laughs> That's all they did. There wasn't a there wasn't a fast food joint in the whole area. It was. This lady makes the noodles. This person makes the bread and they all come together and swap and trade and they have all this fresh food and that's all they Mm -hmm. did. They eat fresh food and they walked everywhere. So with Edible Landscape Project, it gives me the opportunity to walk around more because I got to go check all the plants. I got all this food growing, you know, not counting my garden, which usually produces rather well. (laughs) Rather well. (laughs) I need to continue, continue that trend from last year and avoid things that I have to open a, a, a plastic bag for because that's a that's an indicator. You open a plastic bag, you're you're getting into processed foods. Well, yeah, I agree. And and this is called realistic sustainability. So obviously, I don't expect people not to eat processed foods. But be honest with yourself about it. Go don't go to the store and buy that that party bag of chips. Honestly, it's this is what kills me. You could either buy the party bag of chips and try really hard not to eat five servings at once, and you have one bag, or you can go to the store and buy the the variety pack, which is like 36 tiny, itty-bitty little bags wrapped in a bigger bag, wrapped in a bigger bag. The embodied energy of that product is so out-of-this-worldly ridiculous, but it's one portion of chips per bag. Which, as much as my, my eyes started to twitch when I when I was listening to you talk about all the bags, you are trying to build a habit. And if you can build that habit, that once you've built that habit, you can then go to the big bag and put 15 chips in a bowl, you know, and walk away. It's it's one of those things that we just have to figure out for fish and the fish farming that we're talking about here to loop us back around. I'm going to have to continue doing what I have been doing, which is four to six ounces. If I want fish, stay small, get a better quality, always look for something as local as possible, look for, and I get it, it costs way more, and it should, and I'll just wait till I can afford it, you know, kind of thing. I I just won't eat as much fish, 
And when I do, I'll enjoy it in a small portion. Well, I think that that's, that's a part of growing up that most people have missed out on. In our convenience culture, people don't have patience. They certainly don't have the mentality of waiting until the appropriate time to have something. They want it. We want it now. It's that, that JG one commercial. It's my money and I want it now. Well, it's actually, it's my money and I'm going to spend it now. And so they don't understand that you should wait. And you, and, and I say that because it's just the way our culture is. It's in the middle of October. If someone's like, I want chips and guacamole, they're going to go to the grocery store and they're going to buy their little guacamole seasoning mix and their avocados that are rock hard. And they're going to hit them in a ninja blender. And, and all of a sudden they've got this subpar guacamole when they could have just waited till everything was in season and they got it from a good distributor that maybe did come from California but there are there are good distributors where you can get something from California it might take a day or two but you're going to have a better product because it's in season you know I'm fortunate I live next to an apple orchard throughout most of spring and summer I have delicious produce right next to me apples and blueberries and strawberries and and they have a small section of like peaches and pears and they've got you know um, farmers that bring in bell peppers and onions and like it's it's all right here and it's all locally grown so it's wonderful the rest well, of the year, though, yeah. was that Michael? Well, no, and you know, before I close us, that that's a good point. You don't have to have a massive plot of property and six hours a day to eat fresh vegetables and fruits. You can a hit those farmers markets, and they're all over the place. For us, I love going to Horrocks when I can. Another shameless plug for people who don't pay us to to uh, plug them, but it is uh, a that's huge... not a bad place. I like it huge farmer's market that I just adore, but also here locally. That's one of the reasons why the Edible Landscape Project has been so successful is that everybody buys in because there's food everywhere. People are getting fresh food just by walking down the street. And there's not a single person listening to this who can't do the exact same thing wherever they live. They, they can go on the website. We track every bit of information, everything that's ever happened. We have communication on there when people want to build these programs and have questions. We need, we need food security on a vegetable and fruit scale nationally. We need to make that a thing to where food is everywhere. Just like you said, apple trees. We, we planted seven fruit trees here in town. We'll plant a no, another seven this year so that generations after I go will continue to eat. We had that donation just recently of the fire truck that ends up being like a $5,200 donation to the program allows us to take care of these plants, take care of these trees, make sure that they're ready for consumption. You know, when they fruit, they're ready for consumption. Mm -hmm. We have the tools and any city, any person can do the same. Absolutely. And I think a lot of us do the fact that people need to realize that the food security can come on a local scale. It shouldn't be left to massive. It actually shouldn't be allowed for corporations to become huge based off food production. It should be local. You should be able in a small community to take care of each other. And I'm not saying give the farm away. I'm not saying that everything should be free. I'm just saying that if something is grown and produced locally, support it. Plan it, enjoy it, utilize it. If for if for nothing else, feed yourself with it. Don't 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 sacrifice it so you can go to the store and get garbage and put it in your body thinking you're being healthy. Yeah, I mean I'm a big guy too, and that's where that comes from. It comes from every, most jobs I do sit at a computer and you snack. So now I have to change all those habits again. It is a pain in the butt, and when it comes to fish, I will be always actively looking to see if it's a fish farm product. I will always actively try and 
try to find a local source. A lot of times, especially these small towns, uh, the grocery stores will bring in local source things uh, during season. That's the stuff I want. That's the stuff I want to bring into my family. I completely agree. I think that everyone should use that and they should try to go by that, which I know isn't practical, but I think that if if you start, you know, a little bit, a little bit, big bit, if you start with little changes, next thing you know, you're going to be eating better. Your body's going to be feeling better. You're going to start feeling like you're younger because you're not consuming so much garbage. Yep. And that's, and that's exactly it. So I fell off the wagon. It ha- It happens. The whole concept of little bit, little bit, big bit is that we keep pounding the rock. We keep going back to what we're supposed to do. Everybody can make mistakes. I've written a book about sustainability and I make those mistakes on a regular basis. So I just need to continuously get better and anyone can. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, share it on social media or with a friend. Other ways to support realistic sustainability, of course, is becoming a monthly sustainer on our anchor hosting site. Just by searching realistic sustainability or going to greeningyourlife.org forward slash podcast. That's also the same site where you can see the Edible Landscape Project. We just opened up a second tab for season two on there and we just had our first cleanup. So pictures are coming. Also, if you get an opportunity, leave a five-star review, leave a comment. Any of these things are fantastic for us. The more that the search engines see this interaction the more they will put us out there where people can see us and thank you for all of you i know we talked about some sensitive topics especially with crypto but i really appreciate the letters and the information coming in any kind we can have a civil interaction on learning that's part of that little bit both for you and me so i greatly appreciate it and remember that's exactly what we're doing here we're just trying to get a little better each week little bit little bit big bit Thank you so much again. I'm Mike. Yeah, I'm Nick. And we will see you next week. Feeling overwhelmed by climate change? Looking for sustainable and ethical brands to support? That ethic is perfect for you. Ethic is a simple browser extension that helps you find sustainable and ethical brands online. Learn more at ethic.org, E-T-H-Y-K.org.